Let's pray, and then we'll look into God's Word this morning. So, God, we do believe uh, in your Holy Spirit. We believe the Bible um, is simply a, uh, it's kind of a dead document without the Holy Spirit doing something. So we believe he's behind writing it, but we also believe that he's behind the words when we read it. And so, Holy Spirit, would you show us? Talk to us, show us um, what you want us to understand and what we do so we can become the kind of people that you say can be full of the life and power that come from God. And we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Here's my opening statement of the morning. All right. Somewhere deep, this comes from a book, so I took it out of a book. And if you want another book, I can show you later, but it just, it just grabbed me when I read it. Somewhere deep inside, each one of us is a burning desire to finally become the person God created you to be. Somewhere deep inside, each one of us, you, me, is a burning desire to finally become the person God created you to be. And the, kind of the sub sub-question of that that might help you think about that is this one they had last week. Uh, what would your life be like if you didn't struggle anymore with blank? Fill in the blank, whether it's, uh, you know, depression, anxiety, anger, whatever. Every one of us, um, and every one of us can put something in that blank. And every one of us, because we have things in those, maybe hope. Most of us have many things we can put in those blanks, but that's also then leads us to think about this burning desire that I, I'm, I'm not who I, I'm not yet who God created me to be. I'm not all who I, and, and some might say, and I might have said years ago, well, but I'm, you know, I'm going to heaven after I die, so I'm good, so I just need to hold on till then. But God's, God's desire for us is always growing into be more like Christ, so I'm, I'm a math guy, so I always think about scales. So if there's a one down there and a ten over here, and ten meant you were completely full of the Spirit of God and you were completely who you are meant to be, most of us at best may be, I don't know, in the five or six range, maybe. Um, we don't usually evaluate ourselves that way, but we know there's things that would go in this blank, which keeps us from being the kind of person we know God made us to be, which means all of our relationships would be uh, loving and generous and joyful. So it's, it's, it's yes, we have, the, we have the promise of salvation, but there's times where we have, to, we have to understand that God wants us to grow. Whether you're 16 or you're like me, I'm 61, we're still supposed to grow. And I had a different title last and what, see what God wants to do in our lives. So I, the series, I, I had a different title last week. I'm going to stick with this title. The title is going to be called, Do You Want to Be Healed? And it's going to be looking at people in Scripture, and then we're going to put ourselves into those situations, who encountered Jesus, and he brought about incredible change in their lives. And I'm not talking simply physical healing, but you can get the sense that he healed some, some things deep in their souls, just like you and I need. So that's the whole... Uh, so this week we're going to start with one... The, all, every week we're going to look at a different encounter Jesus had with somebody, and we're going to kind of unpack that encounter in a way that maybe you can, you and me, can put ourselves into that situation and then see how Jesus may want to encounter you or me through my own growth, all right, or your own growth. 
All right? So it's, it's based on, go to the next slide. So every, the whole series is based on this passage, which is the, what Jesus said he came to do. This is Jesus' mission statement. All right? The mission statement of Jesus according to Jesus. All right? So he did not, yes, if we follow Jesus, we have the Spirit in it, we go to heaven after we die. There's all kinds of other things, but that's not what Jesus believed his mission ultimately was. That's part of the large, but his mission was this. This is what he read. This was his first public sermon. He had just been tempted by Satan in the wilderness. He shows up at his boyhood uh, synagogue, Nazareth. He reads from this scroll, which is from Isaiah chapter 63. And uh, this is his mission according to him. So let's all read it out loud together. Here we go. All right. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and the time of the Lord's favor has come. That last part, the Lord's favor, you can kind of think of it, that God is now in a good mood toward people, because people often think he's in a bad mood. But this is, this is what Jesus said he came to do, and I said this last week. Often I've read this passage and I've thought, oh, it's really, I'm really glad Jesus came for those kind of broken, hurt, wounded people. But I didn't necessarily consciously think that was me, right? I'm not blind, I'm not, you know, I'm not poor. But Jesus is talking about us and all the ways that maybe that we've been broken hearted when the passage he quotes from, from Isaiah 61, which is related to Isaiah 53, talks about grief and brokenness and woundedness. We read an opening psalm, if you were here at the beginning, that he binds up our wounds. So we're going to talk about ways in which Jesus wants to encounter you and me to bring healing to parts of our hearts that are broken, all right? So let me go to the next slide. I'm going to have this up there for... Maybe every week. These are three assumptions I'm making when I look at all, we're going to look at all these stories in Scripture. Uh, assumption number one is we all have wounds. A wound is, I'll just put a simple definition, it's something that happened to you that shouldn't have happened relationally or something that didn't happen that should have happened. You know, maybe your parents were good parents, but there's ways they, they could have poured more into you. Maybe you had things done to you that shouldn't have been done, but maybe there were just, whether your parents, your siblings, your spouses, your friends, the people aren't doing things that they should be doing that would be good, good for your soul, all right? So that's number one. Wounds, we all have wounds. So we all are the mission of Jesus from Luke 4. The second one, uh, a friend of mine told me this years ago, that was really good. Wounds are deeper than convictions. Here's what that means. I have a, I have a deep conviction that I should always be kind to my wife. But I'm not always kind to my wife because I have my own issues, woundedness, if you want to call them issues. And so even though I have strong convictions, I often act out of my wounds, right? I have a strong conviction about uh, not being anxious or having, being generous with money or being sexually pure, but let's be honest, that, that we often act out of our woundedness and our convictions are hard a lot. Our hearts rule the day. When I say wounds, let's talk about heart, because Scripture talks about our heart a lot. So your wounds are deeper than your convictions. 
So the challenge is, and then we end up acting out of our wounds. When we act out of our wounds, we end up hurting people. So the Bible calls sin. We're, you know, so we're not, I'm not saying we're victims here. I'm saying we're broken people. And our, we need to tend to our wounds because those who have perfect convictions, uh, I, let's think about the Pharisees. They're a great example of right convictions, but wrong behavior. And I, I, this is almost weekly now. I'll read online. I get these different emails from these organizations about pastors or ministry leaders who have really good convictions, but they just slept with their secretary, or they were stealing money from the ministry, or they were lying about things, all right? Right theology and right convictions don't override if you have issues in your heart that you haven't given Jesus a chance to heal, all right? So wounds are deeper than convictions. And the third part, which you just read from Luke 4, which is also corresponding to the rest of Jesus' mission, is he came to heal our wounds, restore our heart, and set us free. That was his own mission. When he announced the kingdom of heaven is here, he's announcing that restoration and wholeness, salvation means wholeness, is now possible. All right? Sometimes, like when I grew up, and just the other day I was with somebody who was saying, let's pray for the salvation of these people. Good intention, but what he means is, what he meant was simply, let's pray that they receive Jesus in their hearts so they go to heaven after they die. When really the word salvation means, let's pray that these people become whole as God created them to be. Which starts with giving their hearts to Jesus, but so that's what Jesus came for. He came for our salvation. Salvation means wholeness, rest, restoration, and healing. That's what he came for. So, the story we're going to look at today is the Samaritan woman at the well. John chapter 4. Again, all, these, all the weeks we're going to look at Jesus encountering somebody. Now, I'm going to say on this too, this is one of those stories. Maybe, maybe this way too. I don't know. It's one of those stories. When I read the story, I think, oh, wow. How neat it is that Jesus is so compassionate toward this person and kind. And I should learn to be that way too. All right? In other words, I put myself in an observer role, and I'm watching Jesus, and that's really, I want to be like Jesus. True, I do, and you do too. But we rarely, I'll speak for myself, put myself in the role of the person who's broken, like the Samaritan woman here. All right? So I'm going to ask you, and this is a practice that goes back centuries, to have what I would call holy imagination and put yourself in the story as the woman at the well. Because sometimes when we do that, then we can things that maybe stir up in our hearts that God wants us, that Jesus then wants to heal in us. Because again, otherwise, Jesus healing her or other people become really neat stories of the power of Jesus to heal, but they don't, they aren't stories about our need for the same kind of healing. All right? And then, so in order to do that, you may have seen this before. Go to the next slide. You may have seen these things before. You know, how are you feeling today? How many have seen those before? They have all kinds of... Sorry. So, uh, I'm not going to ask you this or anything, but what I'm saying is this is all about different emotions. And again, simply like, oh, wait, but, you know, exhausted, confused, ecstatic, guilty, suspicious, angry, hysterical, happy, cautious, I mean, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And sometimes when I teach classes at IU, I'll, give, I'll pass these out you know, start a class and ask them to circle, you know, two or three. What are you feeling today? Like right now? And sometimes it's hard for us to kind of think, what am I feeling right now? 
And again, feelings don't drive our behaviors, but feelings are real parts that tells us thing about our hearts, all right? So I'm going to ask you to keep this in one hand as we read the passage. Because we're going to get a sense of what's this Samaritan woman, what's she feeling? Like, what's going on in her heart, all right? So now go back to the slide, or go to the next slide. I think I have the... So let me just read the story, and I'm going to ask you to kind of put yourself, not just your head, but even your heart, into the, uh, into the person of this Samaritan woman. So if, what you, if you don't know, I'll tell you this up, up, up front. The Samaritans um, are theologically, they are uh, off in their theology according to Judaism, and they were, they were uh, half-bred Jews. So they were half-Jewish, so they were held in contempt by, if you were a good religious person, you held Samaritans in contempt. Often they wouldn't even, good Jews wouldn't even walk through Samaria, which was, Jesus was up here in Galilee, Jerusalem's down here, Samaria's kind of in between. A good Jew would go around it because you didn't want to defile yourself. So that's, that's good for context here. But let me just read the story, and then we'll, uh, we'll go back and look at a couple of what I call freeze-frame moments and see if maybe you can relate to the freeze-frame moment, all right? So Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard he was baptizing and making more disciples. Um, so he left Judea and returned to Galilee. So he's going from Jerusalem up to Galilee, which is up in the north. He had to go through Samaria on the way. He didn't have to, but Jesus knew he had to. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus was tired from the long walk. And he sat wearily beside the well at about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Jewish men don't talk to Samaritan women. He was alone at the time because the disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with the Samaritans. So she said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you were speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. But sir, you you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, how do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give them will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband. For you've had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship? Why we Samaritans claim it it is here at Mount Gerizim, our ancestors' worship? She's doing a little bit of a smokescreen diversion. You kind of went right to her heart, and she's... Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. 
You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes to the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called the Christ, and when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Just then, the disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Or why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. All right. I'm going to go back and look at a couple freeze-frame moments here. First one is this. So, so Jesus was tired. It was about noon. And a Samaritan woman came to draw the water. She was coming. Most women will draw the water first thing in the morning. This Samaritan woman comes at noon. And we already heard about her past. So we can assume she doesn't want to be around the other women. Or they don't want to be around her. All right, so it's noon. And you know this woman's past from what I read. What's she feeling? Like, as she's walking to the well that day, not with the other women who come first thing in the morning when it's cooler, but what do you think she's feeling? Probably some degree of shame. She knows her story. She may even feel some degree of intense isolation. Like my story makes me unworthy for other people to want to hang around. She probably senses rejection. I mean, she's not thinking all this in those moments. But you've got to figure her life was marked by rejection and feeling unworthy and feeling lonely and, un- and isolated. Uh, and maybe this is as good as my life's going to get. But the overarching thing is she had to feel probably incredible shame. Because she knew her life wasn't what God wanted it to be. So in that freeze frame moment, shame, weariness, rejection, isolation, probably feeling a little bit even dirty about her past. So I'll just stop there. I'm guessing some of those emotions you might be relate to at times. Just about your life in general or about you as a person. Who you are. There's maybe things in your life. I think probably there are. Because this is the global human emotion. That you're ashamed about. That if other people knew. We all have things in our stories. That we, were, we are totally glad that other people don't know. And we will never tell them. Because if we did, the emotion that jumps up in our hearts is shame. And we do not want to feel that, so we tuck that back. So this woman's feeling isolated. Maybe you felt isolated, like you don't feel connected. You don't know why, what's going on. Her case, she knew why. Maybe there's rejection. I mean, she'd been married five five times. You've got to assume at least some of those marriages end because the husband was tired of her. 
So she's, all those emotions she's feeling, and so I'm assuming those emotions you've all felt. And again, this is not about being the emotional victim. This is about our emotions tell us things about our hearts that we have to, we have she attention to. All right? So in this moment, she's feeling things that you have felt and I have felt. Shame, isolation, rejection. I'm alone. I'm all by myself. And then Jesus comes in to the picture. And asked her for a drink. And it says she's, she's surprised. Because, let's be honest, when you look at this woman's past, most men would only talk to her because they wanted to use her. That's not Jesus, Right? You can maybe, we don't know this, but you can maybe guess that when Jesus said something to her, she was probably pretty hesitant to give him eye contact. Like, like all, you know, shame, all those things. Plus all the cultural stuff about women, you know, men and women and Jews and Samaritans. So Jesus just starts a conversation with her. Something she must have felt was different. And, and he asked her things, and she's just, again, put yourself there, sitting on the edge of the stone well, if there was a stone well or whatever, and all these things that your life is all about, and Jesus comes and talks to you. Unexpected, and he brings something up to you, and he asks you for something, and, you're, and Jesus, is really, he's really, Jesus is really good getting into our hearts sometimes through a back door, which is what he does here in a little bit. All right. So that's the one moment. Go to the next slide now. So then Jesus is having this conversation about water, which really wasn't about water. It was about him. And he says, but those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. (laughs) This is what I wrote in my notes. Fresh, bubbling spring within question mark. When's the last time you would say your relationship with God can be characterized as, I just feel this fresh bubbling spring within? may not use that language. It maybe sounds overly dramatic, but Jesus is saying, no, that's what you, that's what your life is supposed to be like if you have Christ in you. And again, I'll go back to my one to ten scale. If ten is most of your life you experience this fresh bubbling spring from within and zero is uh, my heart is parched and dry, I know none of us can say ten. Most of us wouldn't say nine or eight or seven or six. So when Jesus talks about living water, even in John 7, about this river that springs out of us, or when he tells this woman that, that if you... You know, I can give you this fresh bubbling spring within. That may be an occasional one or two days a month for some of us, right? And I, when I'm saying that is because I, if you, maybe you're not like me, but sometimes I'll read scripture and I can almost, I, I almost, I do get a little cynical, I'll say, because like, I, I, don't, I don't feel that all the time. I don't feel that often. I feel it at times. There's times where I have this glimpse of, I think something's going on in me. I think my, there's something that I, and, and then it's gone. And, but 
isn't, it seems like Jesus is saying that should be the norm for people who follow him. And getting to the norm is the Christian life is always a process. But again, I'm, I'm, I'm getting at the emotion here. And when he's saying that, she's probably thinking to herself, I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm just trying to survive. I'm just trying to make it today, and then I'll make it through tomorrow, then I'll make it through the next day. And maybe that's how some of you feel. I'm, I'm, I'm good if I don't have bad things happen, but I, if I'm going to expect a bubbling spring within, I'm just going to be disappointed. So we lower expectations. I'm going to encourage you to keep the expectation at this level, knowing that you're not going to live at that level, and neither will I on a regular basis, but don't ever think that Jesus came to give you less than that. So last passage, last part of this passage I want to look at, and this is where trying to figure out if, I mean, Jesus is always kind. He's not like mean. But when she says, go call your husband, he knew exactly where this was going. So he wasn't being kind of sly and conniving and mean. Hey, go call your husband. She goes, I don't have a husband. You're right. I don't know. I, I'm not sure if I can even try to mimic the tone of Jesus because I, I know he wasn't being sarcastic because that'd be hurtful. And he wasn't being like joke, joke, joke. He's just being, he's probably being incredibly loving here. You're right. You don't have a husband. You've had five husbands. And you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. Okay, freeze frame right there. I'm going to ask for input. What, what's she feeling right now when he just said that? Anybody, just give me a word, a phrase. What's that? Shocked. What else? Embarrassed, like intensely, right? What else? Somebody else? Shame, right? What's that? Mad, like <laughs> defensive, right? Have any of you felt those ways? Like, would Jesus point something out to you? Exposed. Like, and then I think the next, very next thing, she asked this question about, she, she deflects. I think she asked about how do we worship, where to go here. She deflects. Because when Jesus exposes things in you, and he's not exposing, he is not exposing it to expose you so you feel more shame and your nose gets pushed into the ground even more. He's exposing that because he wants to set her free. So it's one of those, so remember what she said when she went to her Samaritan friends back home. She said, come and hear, see the man who told me everything I've ever done. We don't know if there's more to the conversation, but uh, you know what? What if Jesus sat across from you? And started revealing to you your personal relationship history. And all the ways you were wounded by others. And all the ways maybe you wounded others. Maybe the ways you were wishing your mom or dad were different. Your husband or wife was different. Your friends were different. All the ways, if Jesus were to, if Jesus were to expose. Well, first of all, we'd probably all feel like her. Shame. Shocked. Maybe a little defensive. 
I, I, I'm really good at being defensive with God. I, I never win, but I'm really good at that, right? All right. So, what if Jesus were to reveal all the ways you felt like, well, I wish my mom had, and this is not about throwing your parents under the bus or your spouse under the bus or your siblings or friends, but we've all been wounded in relationships and we've all done things to others that have been hurtful to them. We're not, we're not victims. We're human beings that are broken. But the reality is there are times that yeah, I wish, wish I would have had more of that in my life from my dad or I wish my mom wouldn't have said that when I was a kid. Whatever, and you, again, I'm not, Bible tells us the sins of the parents that are visited on the next generation. So there's ways, the Holy Spirit then is our, is our avenue to bring healing to those situations, but don't believe for a second that now that you're a Christian, all those wounds have gone out the window. There's a process God uses that the Holy Spirit exposes things and brings healing to those things in our lives. So when you, again, when Jesus exposed her at this moment, he was being incredibly kind, and you, you assume that his look, his look to her was probably incredibly loving in a way that she just didn't know what to do with it. Because if we're afraid of other people knowing things about our past, Jesus knows everything about your past, all your relational history. And, it, and yet he's, right, we're afraid... If I told these people these things about my past, I think I would be rejected by them. Or I think they would think I was weird, or I think, I would think they would think I'm so dirty. So I don't tell people those things. And if you haven't allowed Jesus to bring healing to those things, they stay locked up in a closet in your heart, and the wounds just kind of fester, but you've kind of kept them off to the side. You put a good wall up there. So... One of, my, one of my prayers uh, for you will be and has been in the recent few days when I've been working on these sermons is, and for myself as well, that Jesus would expose things to you that he wants to heal. And you might say, well, I don't, I don't want to go back to those memories. If they're memories that haven't been healed yet, then they're going to be poisonous in your relationships in ways we don't always fully understand. You know, and you, the psalm that we're going to read toward the end of the sermon is that, or at, toward, during communion is, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my, some versions say anxious thoughts, um, but that's unsettling. Try me and know my unsettling thoughts and show me if there's any offensive way in me. The assumption is there is, and we don't like to hear those things, but we, we want to be set free. And so when, just if, if, if you're that Samaritan woman, I mean, nobody, she has a pretty marked past. She has reason to feel ashamed. She has reason to feel rejected probably by some of the men in her life. She has really to feel isolated, discarded by the culture around her, no friends. But Jesus chooses her. It wasn't random. He chooses her. And I'm going to encourage you to be in that place for a while and let Jesus approach you um, not with I think we think this Jesus doesn't approach us wagging his finger at us if we had the spirit of Christ in us there is now no condemnation for those of us in Christ Jesus but he might say can we talk about this issue in your life or can we talk about this event in your life 
and all that transpired in your life because of that event. And Jesus might say, I may want to heal that part of you. So, but he encounters her in such a loving way. He encounters her in a way, and that's how Jesus encounters you. That's how he encounters me. I mean, if you were to write down, or if I were to write down all the things in my life, all the things I've done or left undone that I know were hurtful to people or they're things that are secrets I don't want people to know, and I wrote them all down and I shoved it across the table. But I think we think he's going to look at us with condemnation, like get your act together, woman, and then when you do, then you can come back to church. But that's not Jesus. I mean, this woman, you can tell she's free. Because somebody knows her and loves her. Somebody knows her darkest, most painful, shameful secrets, and he loves her. So, Jesus said this, and we'll finish here, then we'll go to communion. That's the question of of the day and the month. Do you want to be healed? And are you willing to kind of be open yourself if Jesus starts knocking on your door with things he wants to talk about with you. Because my, I, I still have stuff, but I know some of my stuff, when I realized what was going on, I realized, oh, I don't treat Kathy kindly because I've had this issue in my life that I believe something falsely about me, but instead of getting it healed, I just mistreat her. So, Jesus does those things because it's all about relationships, and if you're not loving well, it's most likely because something that he wants to get to. And you, if you're like me, you're like, ooh, ooh, I don't know if I want to. My analogy has often been, I don't want to go down to that sewer and see what's down in my heart. That's, why would I want to do that? And I envisioned myself, I think I, think I got this from a, a book years ago, but I kind of added to it. I envisioned myself opening up this manhole cover which, incidentally, that's the one thing that says gender-specific. Nobody calls them person holes, right? Anyway, but the manhole cover, because it's a sewer. Nobody, women don't want the sewer. Right, that's a woman hole cover. You know? But I open up that up, and I think, I, God, I know you want me to go down there. I'm scared to death to go down there, because I don't know if I want to see what I don't want to see. And then Jesus comes up, and he says, I'm going down with you. Totally different experience. All right, I'm going down there with you. Remember, I'll go down there first, and I'm going down there with you to see things that need to be brought to wholeness again. I want to save you. I want to bring you to wholeness. I don't want that to stink anymore. He said this. Go to the last slide then. Um, Thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. That's Satan's objective for us. And we've had things done to us that have been at the hands of Satan where he was trying to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus, I've come, they may have life and have it to the full, have it completely, whole, salvation. That's what I came for. So if you want the Jesus that gives you your ticket to heaven and then you're going to want him to leave you alone, then you have to figure out how to navigate that life because it's not going to be easy. But if you want the Jesus who says, I came to give you a full, whole, healed, salvation kind of life, then you cannot put any, I cannot put any restrictions on how he gets into my life. Because he always, like we sang, he's good. He's always wanted to bring goodness into our lives. So let me pray.
So Jesus, I'm going to ask that you would, uh, I guess the phrase I'll use, that you would, you would stir up memories inside of us. Not memories like dredging up old, you know, old revenge things or whatever, but memories that you want to be part of bringing healing to. Or you want to bring up things in our own stories that we thought were neatly locked up and closed away. But like the psalmist said, search us, O God, and know our hearts. Because we want to be living in the everlasting way. In this life, we know we're going to be with you in the next life, but we, we also know you promised us joy and bubbling water, springs of living water in this life. So pray for each one of us here that um, even this week, even today, or the next few weeks or months, you would begin to stir things in our hearts where we come to you for healing, knowing that you don't, you don't condemn us. We condemn ourselves. We're really good at that, but you don't condemn us. So Jesus, we love you, and because of the cross, because of your resurrection, all condemnation is gone. All shame is gone because Scripture says you bore the shame on the cross. You bore that for us. We don't have to carry that anymore. And we love you, Jesus, and we ask this all in your name. Amen.